What are some of the more common signs of a haunting? You experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic. Footsteps and creaking boards and whisperings. The cold spots. I see dead people. A ghost woman, sometimes it's a woman in white. Physical contact! I'm scared to close my eyes. I'm scared to open them. I think this building should be condemned. Sealed off to the public for decades. Definitely a haunted house. I already think not. If ghosts are real, I want to know. Common sense alone will tell you that these legends, these unverified rumors, are ridiculous. But nonetheless unverifiable, and therefore true in the sense that they're believed to be true. All right, so welcome to the first episode of The Haunt. I'm your host, Den Keeper. So overall, this is going to be a podcast where we'll cover anything and everything in the category of ghost stories that I find interesting. I guess to get started, my own thoughts on ghosts and ghost stories, I could sum up by saying that I'm both open-minded and pretty skeptical. I'm just not yeah, convinced as of yet that ghosts are anything really specific like the spirits of the dead or anything. So this podcast is at least partially just an excuse to learn as much as I can about these topics and some in the future we're going to be going pretty deep on. But for this first episode, there's no deep dives or anything, just some introductory uh, stories and topics. And then the Sally House is a ghost story that I guess is one of the first ones that when I was a kid first getting into the topic of ghosts that just really scared me. So we cover that too. Okay, so we're going to start out with some of our personal stories first. Um, This first story actually happened to our aunt. It was at her 40th birthday party, and our mom was the one who first told us about this story. Uh, So yeah, here's this one. Our mom was facing with her back to the hallway and our aunt was in a chair or couch on the opposite side of the room looking at the hallway. So she sees this guy that shouldn't have been there. This was her sister-in-law's house, our uncle's sister, and she really didn't believe her. She said, you must be imagining things. And she kind of just poo-pooed it. I don't want to say that term, but I did anyway. (laughs) Poo-poo. I don't know if this is a few months later or just even quite a while later, like maybe a year or something. But she saw that man in her house when she was the only one there. And she was very skeptical of that story. So that made her go like, oh, like, what do you think of that? I don't know. Your sister-in-law saw that thing and you didn't really know what to make of it. And then you saw the ex- like pretty much the exact same thing she described. And there shouldn't have been anyone in your house. Like, what would you think of that? I mean, that's the kind of thing where you, if you believe their <clears throat> stories, like... It's hard to even take a skeptic's viewpoint. Like, it seems like... But don't you believe their story? That's what's especially unusual about it. Unless, like, she dreamed or, like, hallucinated based on what... And one of them... The other person had said. And I think... Or someone's lying. And neither of them seemed like they would lie about that. Like, I mean, of course, there's, like, the alternative that some dude broke into the house two times. But that seems unlikely. Okay, so to add on a little bit more about that one, so this at this party, it was all women. Um, our mom actually saw her face change to confusion. And other things that have happened in that house is members of that family heard noises coming from the main level when they were upstairs when there should have been no one else in the house. That's pretty much all I know about that story. They, they since moved from that house, so her sister-in-law seeing the apparition as well is the last event there i know about so this next story actually happened to pretty much our whole family when we took this ghost tour in alexandria virginia the old town section so there's this pretty cool ghost tour in old town alexandria I haven't been in a long time, so I forget most of the stories. I think it's called the Ghosts and Graveyard Tour. We went on this tour, and we obviously, like, had fun. We thought the stories were interesting and cool, but we... To you. 
Okay, if you didn't enjoy it, fine. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. We just heard these stories. The locations were, like, some of them do have a weird vibe. But it could just be it's an old town, you know, old buildings. Just, like, the look of them makes you feel kind of like it's scary. And then someone in, like, a tour guide in an outfit with a lantern is telling you this story at Did night. You say it's scary? We do this whole tour, and then we're w- walking back to the car. This is me, Andy, and our parents. And on the way back to the car, we pass by this guy. He had, you know, that um, tri-corner hat, and he had, it looked like a sword holster, and I assume a sword also, but I don't remember that detail that well. Do you remember much about how he looked? I'm pretty sure there was a sword. Like, that's what I remember, too. I was just telling Evan little... this story today. Oh, really? Did yeah. you know you were, we were going to talk about it? I mean, it was me telling him about the podcast, and then we just started talking about paranormal stuff. Yeah. Um, so we see this guy. He's walking in the opposite direction of us on the same side of the street. My mom says that he looked a little pale. Do you remember anything about that? He definitely looked pale. Also, I'm pretty sure he didn't acknowledge us at all. We passed by him. It's just a little weird. None of us are really talking that much at that point. And, like, right before we get to the car, my mom turns to us. As she's getting into the passenger side and says, didn't you guys, like, get a weird vibe from that guy or something to that effect? And then when I turned around and saw him walking, like, there was something unreal about the whole moment. Do you, did you kind of get that vibe, You too? saw him once we were in the car? I don't remember. No, now we were in the car. I looked back oh. and quickly saw him, like, one more time from behind. I mean, yeah, the whole thing was weird. We get in the car and our dad does a U-turn, and this is within, like, 10 to, like, 25 seconds wouldn't you say yeah pretty quick and he's just gone and i i kind of looked for alleys i remember and i don't think i saw anywhere he could have gone basically he either sprinted all the way to the end and like rounded a corner or he like booked it into a an apartment or maybe he was some sort of a tour guide and he he went in an alley that was really narrow that we missed as i got older i sort of went away from believing in that sort of thing for a bit so i would always just say oh yeah that was nothing and now i'm sort of in between like i think it was definitely weird and then to add on a little bit more about that one he definitely looked different from the other tour guides i clarified this with both andy and our mom um he looked like, yeah, his outfit was really authentic, and it looked like he had a sword. They both remember that as well. And it was, yeah, definitely colonial-era clothing, uh, 1700s, maybe early 1800s. In this last story, that is also one of our personal stories, I'm going to add a little bit of background first to this one. So this one is called the Burning Maiden story. It takes place at 107 North Fairfax Street in Alexandria, Virginia, just like that last story. It's the building all the way on the end of the street there. Uh, So first, we're going to read a newspaper article about this. Let me find that real quick. All right, so this is from the local news in the Alexandria Gazette from Monday, June 29th. Fatal and Melancholy Affair. On Saturday evening last, about half past seven o'clock, a deplorable accident occurred to Miss Laura M. Schaefer, the youngest and a beautiful daughter of Mr. Christian Schaefer, the well-known and highly respected confectioner of Fairfax Street, which has suddenly and horribly deprived the city of one of its prettiest ornaments, and a family and large circle of friends of one of their most cherished members, and incidentally has been the occasion of another death more horrible from the fact of its being an act of self-destruction. Old newspapers were written quite a bit differently, weren't they? Yes. (laughs) Nice, just contributing one-word answers to everything. Yes. I'm not sure that leaning noise adds very much. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Mr. William Phillips, who married Mr. Schaefer's sister and was who at the (laughs) and who was at the scene of the accident the time of its occurrence, gives the following account of it, a portion of which was related to him by the unfortunate young lady previous to her death. She had been dressing for the evening in her own room, 
in the third story of her father's residence on Fairfax Street near the corner of King, her grandmother, Mrs. Ballinger, a lady of some eighty years being in the room with her. In her father's room adjoining hers stood a large bureau, in a drawer of which she kept her handkerchiefs, and having completed her toilet, she took the kerosene oil lamp she had been using in her hand and went into that room for one. Kind of confused by that wording. Um, Leaving her grandmother in her own chamber, she had hardly reached the center of her father's room before she heard the lamp crack and was instantly aware that she was covered with the burning fluid. She immediately flew through the lamp from her, her to the hearth and ran down the stairs, screaming piteously for help. Mr. Phillips, who was sitting at the front door steps, hearing her cries, rushed into the house and saw her descending the stairs, enveloped in flames that extended far above her head. She reached the bottom of the steps about the same time that he did, and her mother, who had also been startled by her cries and had met her there, was endeavoring ineffectually to extinguish the flames when he arrived. As soon as she saw him, she turned from her mother and beseechingly implored him to save her. He at once threw off his coat and wrapping it around her soon succeeded in subduing the fiery element, but alas, not until it had accomplished its hideous work. Her grandmother, with a blanket, quenched the fire in Mr. Schaefer's room, and in all probability had the young lady, in her fright, not have gone down the stairs, would have also, would ha also have extinguished the flames which surrounded him. Wait. Did that sentence, like, make sense to you? I wasn't listening. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Lewis, who was at once sent for in a short time arrived, in every expedient that science, science could suggest or art apply that might possibly prevent or hinder the approach of the death was resorted to, but in vain, for nearly the whole surface of her body was severely burned, and in some places to the consistency of a crisp. Mm. And on the fall... <laughs> no. Let's go back and get you haunted for that. To the consistency of a crisp? Excuse me? <laughs> and on the following morning, shortly after 11 o'clock, she was relieved of her sufferings. Af about three hours after her death, or, or about two o'clock, Mr. Charles Tennyson, son of Mr. Samuel Tennyson, a young gentleman well and favorably known in the community, who rumor says was engaged to be married to the deceased and who had been her constant companion for years, she refusing to have other company, and who was at her bedside when she died, sent from his residence of the residence of his father, corner of Fairfax and Cameron Street for a friend, Mr. Henry Green, to come and see him, and when Mr. Green arrived, proposed to walk with him to Mr. Schaefer's house. Mr. Green consented, and the two walked down Cameron Street to water, and down water to the first alley, connecting that street with Fairfax, and directly on the way to Mr. Schaefer's residence, up which they proceeded as far as the gate leading into the wholesale liquor store of Downham and Green, of which firm his friend was a member. A short time after entering the store, he said he believed he would take a drink, and Mr. Green having drawn him what he desired, and handed it to him as he stood in the middle of the store, he drank it, giving as a toast. Here's to you and I, God save us. Mr. Green took the empty tumbler, and whilst carrying it back to the water stand, was startled by the report of a pistol, and turning, saw Mr. Tennyson fall heavily to the floor. He had deliberately drawn a five-barrel Whitney revolver from his pocket, and with his right hand placed its muzzle to his right temple and pulled the trigger. The ball entered the cavity of his skull and lodged upon the opposite side. Surgical assistance was summoned at once, but the wounded man was beyond the reach of the assistance to be afforded by earthly doctors. He was taken home where he expired at twenty minutes past three o'clock this evening, never having recovered his consciousness since the infliction of his wound, this truly melancholy affair was a subject of general conversation yesterday and today, and feeling allusions were made to it yesterday in some of the churches. And then there's also an article, the local news from the Washington Evening Star, I think it is. Yes. And it has very different details. It's from, it was written, obviously around that same time, the day or two after this event. But essentially, this article 
that article says the fire started in her father's room. Um, and this one says that she was like basically fell down the stairs, and that is when the lamp broke. It's just interesting that in old newspaper articles that are even supposed to be, you know, more objective, there are differing details. So it's kind of hard to know exactly what happened in legends like these. And that's complicated even more by the fact that the story gets added on to over time. And people made it more tragic by adding in that they were actually supposed to be wed the next day. And the apocryphal version of that story has her wearing a wedding dress and says she was trying on her wedding dress when this happened for her wedding the next day. But that doesn't seem to be the case, obviously, from either article. So to get into the ghost legend part of this story... Um, an article that sort of goes into the basics of it is the Phantoms of North Fairfax Street, which is on the Weeda blog Boundary Stones. It's an article by Ruthie Cooney. So some of the activities she lists there are that owners and investigators have heard hello, a gentle female voice saying hello, a male presence in the basement, cold gusts of air on that on the staircase that Laura ran down while she was burning. A swaying lantern. Uh, I guess a sense of longing, it says, people have felt. Or claustrophobia. And then the smell of something burning. So in this blog, she cites a Washington 4 blog post from 2017. This is the most recent um, thing about this I could find. And the owner of the Alexandra Ghost and Graveyard Tour men mentions in this post that he used to feature the building in the tour. And that... On several occasions, the lantern in the hallway swayed when guides would talk about this Burning Maiden story. And then I also read a bit more about this in this book about Alexandria in Northern Virginia by J.J. Smith. So he sort of tells the legend version of that story where she's wearing the wedding dress and it said that children would see her in a white dress and say who's that lady in the white dress what was that That's what i'd say if i saw a lady in a white dress <laughs> <laughs> um so at one time this was apparently a real estate office i guess in the earlier 2000s because the book was written in 2009 and he said a few years back so a story from then is that supposedly an agent was on the first floor of the house in their office when they heard a sound coming from the upstairs bedroom laura's bedroom she went up to investigate and the room was the door to the room was jammed shut and the wood was hot to the touch um she stepped back when she felt how hot it was and it burst open no one was there and she felt some heat rush by her so it was after that, a Christmas decoration shop. So it was Candy's Candies by the time of the book's publishing in 2009. And the owner gives her two experiences in the book. She went down to the basement to retrieve something, and she felt a presence there. She said she pictured a man. She had goosebumps and teary eyes. And then she said another time she smelled burning and she checked everywhere in the building and everything seemed fine. Fine? Fine. And then another time she said that just days after that basement incident, a woman came in and told her that she had once worked there for a year and that there was a presence in the basement. Which seems weird that you would just come in just to How say that. affirming. And yeah, the owner said that she didn't believe in ghost prior experiences here, which is a pretty standard thing you hear in stories like this like not saying that really means anything one way or the other and i would definitely be interested to contact the current place it's currently a place called old town dolce gelati cafe i'd be interested in seeing if they've had any activity there yeah like i was telling you they don't seem to feature it on the tour anymore based on that recent article so I wonder if it's because that business either doesn't believe or doesn't want to talk about the ghost story. So I wouldn't necessarily expect them to get back, like even if I contacted them. But I'd say that's worth following up on just to see. And yeah, so basically our personal experience there was that we visited after I had read similar book. And yeah, we went to go check it out. We, at, we basically walked in. 
told the girl at the register that we had come there because of that. And yeah, she went and I think it must have been like the building owner, the landlord or something, because it wasn't that lady that owned the candy store. It was someone else. It was a, yeah, I guess middle-aged guy. And yeah, he brought us up to the top floor, told us some of the stories and yeah, let us walk around. So yeah, that was pretty interesting. And I guess just to clarify, thinking, like really thinking about it, it was so long ago and I didn't like write anything down about it afterwards that we're not sure exactly when this happened. But from my brother's retellings of it, you think it was on a warm day, e. which is important to the story. So, yeah, you'll see. So here's that one. When he was talking to us, I just, like, wandered off and went into a room by myself. And the room was, like, really cold, and I thought it was weird that it was so cold in there. And, like, I just wandered around and, like, looked around and then came back outside and regrouped with you guys. And then once all four of us got to that room, we walked in, and it was warm. Like, it was just as warm as the rest of the building. He either told us that that was her bedroom or it was her favorite, like, room to sit in. He said it was, like, her favorite sitting room. There might have been ceiling fans, actually, but if anything, that just makes it weirder because, like, there are ceiling fans that were turned on because it was so hot. And then I walked in there and the whole room was, like, frigidly cold. Like, how would you describe it? Like, did you get any, like, body sensations from how cold it was at all? I don't think so. But, like, like, I just went in, and it's not like it was, like, a draft in certain parts of the room. Like, the entire room was unusually cold. So, yeah, uh, Brian... I keep calling him Brian, but he's going by Andy now. Uh, so do you have anything to add about our personal experiences? I don't think so. <laughs> have a little bit more energy. I will when there's something worth talking about. Got him. All right. Um, <laughs> so as as you'll hear in the part we're about to go into that we already recorded about the Sally house where we sort of watch a video that sums up the story from 2003, even given that Andy thinks he might've had this strange experience. He's still generally very skeptical of the paranormal. We go into that in several other points in the podcast that you'll soon hear. Um, so yeah, this isn't a deep dive or anything about the Sally house. Um, I might come back to it in a later episode, Basically, I found it interesting because it was one of the first ghost stories that just like scared the out of me when I was a kid. And I just sort of wanted to revisit it in this first introductory episode. Because like, Andy, you remember you would even sort of tease me and say scratching Sally because I was so scared of this story. We're going to come back in after this so I can give a little more detail a little bit because I've thought about it a little more since then because I refresh myself on some of the details. And then, yeah, we'll have some new details to tell you about. Ah, refreshed. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Atchison's Haunted Trolley. And tonight, it's our aim to bring you other experiences that are unseen but real. To those of you who may still be skeptical, I submit the story of Sally. We're going to try to she not is... talk over the video. I mean, we can. Or you can, like, tell me to pause it if you had a comment or something came to you. I was going to say that real comment was stupid. Which comment? Sorry, <laughs> I said there are things that you can't see, but they're real. <laughs> okay, then. Now, Sally was a little girl not far from your age when her mother brought her here to the home of her physician. He determined quickly that the problem was Sally's appendix. He reached over and grabbed the ether and put the wet rag over her face. She fell asleep. He reached over to grab his instruments. He didn't check carefully enough to see if she were asleep. He began the incision across her stomach. She was not yet asleep. 
She screamed, she sat up on the table, and she died on that table in that house. Okay, that story... There's no record of any of that happening. For Tony and Deborah Pickman, their tale of horror started innocently enough. They had just had their first child and moved into a new home. But soon, they began to notice odd things happening around the house. You turn the TV off at night to go up the stairs and you get halfway up the stairs and the TV turns back on. You turn the stereo off and you walk into the other room and it turns itself back on. I really didn't believe in ghosts. I'd never seen one. But I was probably a pretty good skeptic. That was until the day when Tony says he was physically attacked. I felt Okay, uh, I don't know if they're going to go back over it, but they skipped quite a bit. So essentially they said some of the early things they noticed were things they thought were faulty wiring. <laughs> For example, lights would sort of flicker and dim. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned the electronics going on and off a bit. And then they also noticed things would move around like stuffed animals. So I asked her, look what bit me. She lifted up my shirt and the expression on her face was, she said, oh my God. Well, I'm thinking, oh, what, what did I get bit by? Is this a spider bite? And there were three scratches across my back. These photographs were taken by Deborah to show the scratch marks on Tony's back. The Pickmans claim that these bizarre scratchings continued to appear on Tony's body on a regular basis. The Pickmans also noticed something strange about their family photographs. I don't know if I believe this story in general, but I guess we can talk about that once we've gone over the whole thing. Tony claims he was in the kitchen and got the surprise of his life. There's this little girl dressed in, I would call it 18th century clothing, or real white lacy dress and just really out of the norm and she was just staring at me with big eyes just like she was more scared of me than I was of her and I dropped the glass and as soon as it hit the ground she was gone. Tony drew this picture of what the girl looked like. <laughs> Isn't that like good art surprisingly? By now, the Pickmans wanted answers, so they asked a local psychic to visit their home and see if their house was haunted. They recorded the event on home video. She said that we had a little girl spirit, a really sweet little girl spirit, uh, about six or seven or eight. Their baby's um, your age now. And she was very protective of the baby. Yeah, I actually listened to an interview with him, their son, and mm -hmm. he, he says that he fully believes their story and that he's had experiences both i think he said revisiting the house and just their family had experiences after moving out still um her name was sally s-a-l-l-i-e instead of the l-y but sally as the psychic called her was apparently not the one scratching tony she said that there was another woman in the house and that this woman was doing things and blaming sally for them so what a bit. <laughs> so besides Sally, um, what's his name? I forget the guy, the main guy's name, the dad, Tony. but Tony. That's it. Um, he said he also would see a woman. He said sometimes when he would see a woman, it would look very similar to Deborah, his wife. Mm -hmm. And then I think he said one time it looked like a a sort of a witchy looking woman and like sort of older fashioned black clothing. What do you think of all this so far? And like I said, I feel like they're just lying. Yeah. Or at least about some of it. Like who knows, maybe they experienced something to begin with and then they were like um let's embellish this. Let's embellish yeah, this. Yeah, basically like oh, we're having these experiences, but like what if we just tried to like bullshitted and, and like pretend all these things happened oh yeah i didn't even mention this there are some really extreme things they claim happened like he says that they found their cat dead and that he had been in some something like a trance shortly before and didn't remember killing it but he thinks that it was him possessed that killed the cat what the f yeah and he also says that he would have dreams where he slit hit waited for his wife to get off work and then he would slit her throat and he said he would have like intrusive thoughts that he like felt like he had urges to actually do that mm -hmm. yeah just like 
it's almost like an Amityville horror type situation. That level of haunting is mm-hmm. what they're ultimately claiming. This this show actually makes it look a lot less extreme than some other things they've said. The TV show Sightings, which investigates reports of paranormal activity, had heard about the Pikmin story. Oh my God, look. Oh look, they're forming. The program never manufactured anything. We were very careful to make sure that this was covered from all angles. We, we set up multiple cameras in the room to try to watch every movement, every possibility of any kind of sleight of hand that may have been going on. After living in the house for almost two years, the Pickmans decided they had enough and left. Since then, Tony reports that he hasn't been scratched by a ghost again, nor has anyone else who has lived in the Sally house reported being scratched. Like I said earlier, there's no record of that Sally story. And on that show, Sightings, I'm not sure if they just didn't really do deep enough research, but they sort of tie Sally with this new psychic, this older man. They tie it to this grave in the in the cemetery there, an unmarked grave that they looked in, saw that it belonged to a Sally. But it turns out it was a black woman in her 40s who had children. And I think one of her young children is buried with her, an infant. So maybe they they saw an infant was buried there and then saw the name Sally and thought that it lined up. I'm not sure. Uh I'm not sure whether they just left out the information or if they just didn't look into it enough or if they didn't or if someone hadn't uncovered that back then so after after all this what would you say your impression is i don't believe it any of it not really so you would go there and expect nothing abnormal to happen i mean that would be me going anywhere but yeah you think it's probably just stories that sort of built up and then people sort of scare themselves there would be your best guess i'm probably or people are making up their experiences as well i guess that's a whole nother topic like what percentage of people just make up their experiences yeah i think that i want because like i don't even like the conjuring movies really i mean like they're okay like animal creation was like decent and whatnot but I still think that movies like that would be more entertaining if they just, like, took things all that were claimed to be true and not added their own bull to it. It's weird that they add things because the people that tell those stories have so many extreme details to be Exactly. Yeah, like you were saying, they could just make a movie and include only things that were actually claimed in this case. If anything, it would probably be scarier. Yeah, you're right. As a, I like how as a movie this would be kind of subtle, but since it's people claiming it in real life, exactly, it's, it's the really perfect weird. story to be made into a movie with their exact details of what they claim happened. Yeah, you're right. For a movie, it would be very subtle and effective. <laughs> but then obviously in real life, it's like this was. Bull- yeah, I I can see why it creeped me out before because I knew a much more more believable version of it. So, do you have any? sort of last thoughts on anything we've talked about fake and we're back (laughs) (laughs) that is true but it's not that type of show (laughs) how were the commercials you want to buy something So yeah, here's some, I guess, additional info about the Sally House. So it's at 508 North 2nd Street in Atchison, Kansas. It was built in the late 1860s, completed by about 1871. Uh, The businessman who built the house for his family died pretty much right after it was completed in either 71 or 72. I read some conflicting info on that. And then it's very confusing which members of the family you're on camera you dummy i know what's the problem (laughs) why are you doing that when we're trying to talk about this we yeah you should join in i'm listening you should join in with your 
commentary inputs. while you're trying to just get the story across? No. Basically, it's very confusing from the records that people summarize online who lived in the house when in the family. It seems as though, from what I could gather, that the mother lived there until her death in 1918, but she also might have lived for a short time next door to a house that one of her sons, James, built, because I think it was originally deeded to her. I saw some info. Um, so the people who died in this house, in this family, were M.C. Finney, who I mentioned had died shortly after the completion of the house, uh, William True, the husband of the daughter Agnes, uh, died there in 1918. The real tragedy is that her name was Agnes. I said her husband, not her yet. Wait, what? Oh. Spoiler alert. Um, I mean, of course she's dead. No, I meant, I, meant in the, I meant in the house, because I'm mentioning people who died, actually ha have been like for sure recorded to have died in the house. So it was her husband, William True, was the second. Uh, Catherine Finney, the mother of, in the family, she seems to have lived here at the main house until 1918. She died just a couple of months after William True. And then Agnes lived in the house until 1939 when she died. And apparently it was a boarding house for some of that time. So basically, I, I mentioned this a little bit in the portion you heard that there's no evidence of a Sally and there doesn't seem to be even evidence from what I could gather. Again, I haven't gone to the town and actually done like research in their records, but there doesn't seem to be even evidence that Charles practiced in the house. He had his own practice in a building downtown when he was a doctor and I couldn't even tell if he lived in the house while he was a doctor or not. It's He definitely obviously did when he was a kid. It seems he lived with his mother there. And I guess it's possible after he came back from medical school, he lived there for a short time. Because I didn't find anything going against that. But then he built and moved into 510 North 2nd Street, a house next door to there. The actual Chamber of Com Commerce website for Matchison, the Sally House page on there, has this just sort of legend about how a girl named sally died in the house They're, they tell it on that tour on the trolley tour they have like a setup suggesting that that surgery was done in the house and it's strange because like it's the official town tours but these don't seem to be true stories it seems yeah just a legend what the pickmans currently claim about the sally house is that there seems to be some sort of a malevolent entity or demon demonic force that sort of uses ghosts like traps them there uh, some other people have the theory that it pretends to be the little girl and then other people say that it's just a ghost that didn't like them very much maybe one of the other women involved in the house based on some of uh, tony pickman's sightings um, and as we mentioned before, I'm still very skeptical, I guess, of a large portion of this story. I mean, for one, just the sheer amount of things that they claimed happen is pretty insane. And I showed you that that series of pictures that Tony says he took in his own house now pretty recently where the a drawing of the girl has its eyes closed in the second photo. Uh huh. And yeah, just details like that, like it, the list just goes on and on. The first thing they say really creeped them out was this stuffed animal arrangement, these stuffed bears. So basically, it was one of their sister staying over with them to sort of help with the baby. Uh, so Tony was upstairs in the nursery and he saw three of the stuffed animals in a circle in the middle of the room. So he sort of told the his wife and the sister about it and they all went up to sort of investigate they put the bears back in different corners of the room where they had been and they couldn't think of how this had happened so then they started heading back down the stairs they heard a click look back and the bedroom lights are back on so basically these stuffed animals would end up in the center of the room several times that night and then there were obviously the scratches 
that started also. Then, of course, he started having the apparition sightings. Uh, he saw the little girl Sally in the kitchen. They mentioned that in the video. Um, a woman who looked like Deborah in the face but had 1800s clothing. And then the older woman in black. Then there's also whispering that they heard. Unexplained fires. Objects being thrown. Scratching sounds on the wall. The violent urges. Footsteps running on the stairs. Pictures turning backwards on the walls. Supposedly about five years after the Pickmans moved out of the Sally house, Tony claims that he woke up after sleepwalking and was standing in front of the Sally house. Because their new How house... How far away is it? I think they said it was like less than a mile away mm-hmm. where they moved. And the more you learn about it, the more skeptical you become. And you're like, that that much happened and yeah, that many extreme things. Another thing about it is that there seems to be an unclear timeline. Sometimes it seems to change or details of their stories change in ways that I thought were kind of curious. There are conflicting things that Tony said about his relationship to the paranormal. Like he saw on their website, it says that he had experiences with demonic forces when he was a kid. But then in interviews, I've heard him say that he was sort of a skeptic and didn't really believe in ghosts up until these experiences. Another weird thing is there's some incorrect information on their website about a pentagram being found in the basement. Mm-hmm. For one thing, it's listed as being attributed to two different families when it was only one woman that it seems to actually be connected to, according to the landlord. And they apparently know him, but they have differing accounts of what he found down there. He says that he just found a pentagram, but their website claims that he found a pentagram, a cauldron, and like robes in a, in a witch's altar. So what do you think of the scratching? Because that's definitely unusual because the crew of that show at least claims that they were watching and didn't see any times he could have been doing that. Uh-huh. He could have been scratching himself in a way that he figured out would like slowly form. So he would sort of do it and then wait like a while and then it would start to be visible. Uh-huh. So I guess it's still possible. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know. It's not like I have some perfect explanation for it as to how he could have hoaxed it or anything like that. In general, I think their story is like I guess like worth looking further into because even if it is like not all true or even mostly not true like it's a pretty elaborate and imaginative hoax I mean if it is I think that the scratching thing is the most compelling everything else like they could easily just have lied about I haven't actually read the book by the wife uh Deborah Pickman about their experiences so I feel like that would be a good next step if I did like a deeper dive at some later point, as well as actually going to the house and maybe interviewing some of the people and trying to see if these events there are, you know, corroborated by more than just a few people directly surrounding the house. What's that living room blinds video of you all? Oh, that? yeah, I'll actually show you that. So basically, I believe this professor. Sean M. Daly, I think he works at the house giving tours and he also teaches classes and sometimes brings his classes there because let me look at my notes real quick about that. Yeah, so he's an anthropology professor and some of his classes sort of relate anthropology to like beliefs and the supernatural, which he's a believer in. I think mm-hmm. he said he actually investigates demonic reports for the Catholic Church. Interesting. Which, like, I so was... what, he's also Catholic? I guess so. So he's an academic, he's religious, and he believes in the paranormal. I think so. It's a triple threat right there. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, some things he said, like, I was like, okay, this seems like he, like, actually is, like, you know, curious about the topic and looking into it and he seems like one of the more credible people looking into it but then again like i'm not sure how i feel about like demonology and all that stuff you know but so this video is supposedly from an investigation he did with a class he brought to the house and yeah just take a look at this 
So look, uh, I guess focus on the back left. So yeah, the blinds all close at once. And some people in the comments who were, I guess, skeptical of it noticed that this girl here on the right like puts her hand down into her pocket at the exact moment it does it. And they're like, oh, it's some sort of mechanical thing. But, I mean, at the same time, I don't know off the top of my head what would do that. Do you? I mean, if they just have, like, a fucking, like, motor and, like, an Arduino set up at the base of those blinds, she could easily have pressed a button and activated it. How would the... I guess what I don't get is how would the motor have closed all the blinds at once in a flash like that? The same way you would do it like manually the the thing to do it manually is up there though you see it the top left like, i mean they still the could probably thing. connect something like the motor could be up there where that thing turns and it just goes like Meh. and so it turns as quickly as if you would quickly do it twisting it by hand i see what you mean and sh she could have a sort of Something that triggers it in her pocket. Yes. Wouldn't that be weird, though, if, like, someone had their class do a hoax like that? Yeah, I mean, it would be weird that they did that hoax, but it's still possible. It's definitely possible, but it could also be a coincidence that she does it right then. I don't... I don't know. I mean, even if it I is really a hoax, don't know. why have the person who's activating it be on camera? Think of anything, it's someone behind the camera who activated it. Yeah, why would it be that obvious? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that video, honestly. I mean, I guess it is the kind of thing where it's like, I don't know what natural explanation it could be other than a hoax. Do you know what I mean? Like, it seems like it's, it's kind probably... of either a hoax or a ghost. Yeah. Oh, that's the thing about things like this. Like, you want to be open minded, but at the same time, when things leave you that little options <laughs> and then like me being like more skeptical of course i'm just gonna say well then it's probably a like it's pretty much definitely a hoax the way you explained it it made more sense to me that it could be a hoax i hadn't really thought of that exactly some of the things from the podcast astonishing legends are actually more compelling because to me they at least from podcasts i've listened to of theirs seem like they're actually you know interested in these topics and it at the very most believe what they're saying you know mm -hmm. and the, i showed you that um evp that they recorded there yes like i'm not sure how i feel about evps especially that particular device but okay so you get the idea i'm not actually gonna have the recording in the podcast because that might be a copyright thing but it's one of the first thing that comes up when you type sally house evp on youtube but yeah what do you what do you think about that does that sound like voices to you or screams i mean i guess <laughs> but like then again pareidolia is pretty powerful hearing things that you want to hear see it's the same thing when you see a face in things I mean, I definitely don't think it sounds enough like a voice that I'm, like, compelled by it for that reason, if that's what you mean. Yeah, and, I mean, even in, like, old movies, they make jokes about that. Like, the wind whistling through the trees and it sounds like a voice. Although I have heard EVPs that it's hard to say that's not a voice. That's what I was saying earlier about even if they're fake, it's hard to disprove them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've heard that, too, because didn't you go to that house, that tour of that um, house in, was it Fredericksburg? Yeah. And you they showed you some EVPs? Yes, but our own EVP session was awful. <laughs> what happened? Nothing. It was just nothing sounded good. Like, nothing. Nothing. Did anything even sound like anything? No, nothing even remotely sounded like a voice So nothing happened. Even they were just like, well, that was a dud, I guess. Oh, so they, so they like, admitted they don't think anything happened that night, at least? Yes. But, I mean, like, they showed us, like, their best EVPs. What were those like? They've... I don't remember. I mean, they were, like, decent, I guess, for EVPs, but it doesn't mean, like, I believe in them any more than any other EVPs I've ever heard. It's just, yeah, Also, like, some know. of them were pretty bull**** like, 
Oh, like what? Like, just like, they're like, did you hear that it was saying this? And I was like, no, <laughs> it didn't sound like that to me at all. <laughs> but I just mean the they fact s- that like they captured something. Oh, when they said that, would it still sound like a voice, even though you didn't hear what they said it, they thought it was saying? Yeah, that's why I said they were def- decent EVPs, but like some of them were like real stretches with them saying what they think they heard. I've heard people who believe in EVPs say that they think that it's a phenomenon in itself that the ghosts sometimes sound like someone that's there. How convenient. <laughs> <laughs> they would say, no, I find it decidedly inconvenient. Because then no one will believe me. I what was that from someone, someone getting, said that? like, exacerbated at that in the most, like, fake bull way possible they're like oh i hate it oh my god (laughs) (laughs) oh i guess you didn't go into this enough in the other part anyway what do you think about like ghosts in general as a concept so you just want this on video? Because I already told you about it. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, by default, I don't believe any ghost story and think that even if there is something that, like, actually it was seen, I don't think it's actually, like, I don't think it's actual paranormal phenomenon. But, but at the same time, I don't think, I wouldn't definitively say that none of it's, like, ghosts like aren't real i just think that we can't know for sure either way okay so that was our segment on the sally house uh one more notable aspect of the sally house story i forgot to mention there was that when the sightings tv crew visited one of the times tony was scratched uh the scratches spelled out the initials mc which are the first two initials of M.C. Finney, Michael Finney, the businessman who originally built the house for his family. And I'm not saying that makes the story more believable or anything. They obviously could have looked into the house's history to an extent that early, but it is one of the only references to the house's actual history, you know, with the Finney family in the Pikmin's original story. So I think, yeah, that makes it a notable detail. Uh, Before we go, if you have any stories or knowledge on a topic you want to submit at any point, uh, you can shoot me an email at denkeeperghosts at gmail.com. The two E's and keeper are threes. So that was denkeeperghosts at gmail.com. I'd especially, yeah, shoot me an email if you have some information or a story about a recent topic or a topic that's upcoming that I list. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening to this first episode and good night.